Hello and welcome to the next in my series of studies in John's Gospel. One of the standard responses against Christianity is that the Bible is full of contradictions. One of the most unhelpful responses of Christians is to say it isn't. I need to let you into a bit of a secret. As you read the Bible, you will come across lots of things that appear to be contradictions. And we can't pretend that it's any different. And we're going to come across one of those now in John's Gospel. What I want to do is just talk to you about how I've come to understand the things that look like contradictions and how, we kind of, uh, how we're able to bring harmony and understanding. So we're going to use this passage as a little bit of a case study, and I hope you find that helpful. The story is right at the end of the story we've been looking at for the last few weeks, which is of a man who was born blind, who Jesus has healed. And we left it where the man falls before Jesus and worships him. And then Jesus says these strange words to the crowd of Pharisees who were critical, who had been insulting and opposing the man who had been born blind. He says this, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see and those who are blind and those who see will become blind. Now that is an incredibly difficult and painful verse. What on earth does he mean? And particularly when he says, For judgment I have come, because he appears to be saying that he's come into the world to judge. Now that's explicitly very different to some of the other verses. In John's Gospel, you may remember John 3.17, Jesus came into the world uh, not to condemn, but to save. A little bit later, there's almost an explicit contradiction. In John chapter 12, Jesus says, As for those who hear my words but do not keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So we have an apparent contradiction. In this passage, it appears, Jesus appears to be saying, I have come to bring judgment. But in other passages, and in John 12 explicitly, Jesus appears to be saying, I haven't come to bring judgment. So there appears to be a contradiction. So how do we reconcile these contradictions? I want to use this passage as a way of helping us to see generally how we can look at things that on face value appear to be contradictory in the Bible. But before we do that, I just want to clarify why I believe in the Bible. Because, of course, some people would say, well, the the thing about contradictions is that it shows that the Bible is confused and untrustworthy. I think that's a difficult position to hold. Fundamentally, as you read John's Gospel, and remember, both these passages are within John's Gospel. John is clearly written, John's Gospel is clearly written by the same person. The language and the linguistics tell us that. He's clearly quite a deep and wise thinker. He's clearly chosen the bits of Jesus' teaching that he wants us to hear. And so the idea that he says something that's contradictory and that he hadn't realized it, uh, I think is not credible. I think John doesn't mean the contradiction that we interpret it, that his words have a different meaning than contradictions. So it's difficult to believe that the same writer would write something that was so badly written. But beyond that and underpinning all of that, I think it's really important just to re-examine why we believe the Bible at all. 
It seems to me there are three steps of faith. The first step of faith is to believe that there is a God. That's natural for many of us, but for some of us it requires a little bit of thinking, thinking around creation and the whole nature of life. But having believed that there is a God who is able to make the universe and that we're not accidental, but that we've been shaped, purposed and planned, the second step of faith is to believe that Jesus is the representation of that God, that God came to earth, born in Bethlehem, lived and died in Judea, and was crucified on a cross and rose again. That's the second step of faith, often linked to and proven by the resurrection and the fact that we're talking about this character now. But the third step of faith for me uh, was of something that I thought through a lot at theological colleges. I examined all the arguments against the Bible. And I've talked about this before. But the third step of faith was to say, given that I believe God made the universe, I find it difficult to believe that he would look at creation and go, do you know, I love the mountains and I love the flowers and I love all the beauty I've made, but the Bible, oh, I made such a mess of that. If God is able to create the universe, he's able to ensure that the Bible says what he wanted it to say. So I'm coming at this from a step of faith, which is to say it is more logical to me that the Bible is accurate than to believe that it's filled with mistakes. Now, the second way in which people try to reconcile these contradictions, these apparent contradictions, is to say that the Bible is an unfathomable mystery and that there are lots of things that we don't understand and we can't explain. And therefore, though they look like contradictions, they're not really contradictions, we just don't understand why. Uh, therefore, in a way, the contradictions don't really exist and it's wrong to try and reconcile them. And again, I'm, I'm afraid I don't hold with that particular thought either because I believe God has given us a rational mind. We're made in the image of God and our rational thinking comes, I believe, from God. And yes, there are mysteries. Yes, there are things that are beyond our understanding. But I do think we're told to study the scriptures and search for their meaning and try to understand what it is that God was trying to say and not just to say, well, I don't understand it. So for me, the principle of Bible interpretation is getting back to what did the writer intend. And I don't think the writers intended contradictions. Therefore, we need to work out what they did mean. You and I will be very familiar with lots of occasions when people think what we said or what we texted or what we wrote in some way or other meant something different to what we knew it meant. And they've interpreted us, maybe that's caused confusion or conflict or difficulty or hurt. And we say, yeah, but that's not what I meant. It's always easy to interpret what we think people mean. It's very easy to interpret the Bible any way we want. But we need to get back to what did they mean. So how do we understand what the writer meant if he's not contradicting himself? So here are some general principles. The first one, and this occurs a lot in the gospel, is to look for the reality and the possibility that things happen on different occasions. Sometimes some of the critics of the Bible say, well, there can only have ever been one feeding of a large crowd, for example. There can only ever have been one time when Jesus said those words. Now, 
<laughs> I've already told you things that I've said before in previous videos. And uh, it's unimaginable to believe that Jesus didn't give similar talks or similar sermons on different occasions to different people. And therefore, it's quite understandable that the different disciples in recording the different times that he said different things might have placed them in different places, might have placed them in different times. And undoubtedly, the writers highlight different elements, that John wants to tell us some things, Mark wants to tell us other things. God chose John and he chose Mark because of their differences. He gave them different priorities in the way they write their Gospels. And just as in a court of law, when different people give a different perspective on something that happened as witnesses, if it's tied down and they say exactly the same words, we know they've colluded. But if they're telling it from their perspective, then we can believe it's more authentic. So a lot of the Gospels, it's not that they're contradicting each other. They're talking sometimes about different events. Sometimes they're talking about different times that Jesus said things. Sometimes they're just highlighting different elements. And so there are normally ways to reconcile all of those things. Second thing to look for, I think, is really important, is to understand that the Bible is a progression and that the New Testament is built on the Old Testament, but at times it corrects the misunderstandings of the Old Testament. And sometimes the Old Testament is going in a journey that begins in, a, a, in the culture in the very beginning of the Old Testament and goes further and further till it's fully developed in the New Testament. So we always have to understand the Bible through the eyes of the New Testament. And therefore, there needs to be a sense of harmony, that what we are talking about fits in with where the New Testament ends up. And we don't just take things that are from the beginning of the story. And the easiest way to do that is to, wherever we think there are contradictions and we're trying to understand what the writer was saying, is we look for harmony with the two, to me, big pillars of the Bible, the two fundamental uh, bits that we need to understand. And the first is the cross. So whatever we're however we're trying to understand different parts of the Bible, do they fit with what is going on on the cross? Do they make sense and apply and go alongside Jesus dying on the cross? And the second goes back to the beginning of the Old Testament where God reveals himself to Moses. And so does whatever we think, does it fit in with the description of God in Exodus 34? The God who is gracious and compassionate, who is slow to anger and merciful and uh, who uh, punishes only to the third and fourth generation. And anything that is at odds, and you think, well, it doesn't quite make sense of what, who Jesus is. It doesn't quite make sense of the character and nature of God. Then we're probably misunderstanding it. And we need to go back and say, is there a different way of understanding those words? In addition to having harmony with God's character, we need to look for the most common and repeated themes particularly in the New Testament. In other words, if I think this verse says this and that verse says that and they look at odds with each other, which one fits with what is most commonly said in the New Testament? And then I use that to go back to the verse on its own and try and think, is there a different way of coming to understand that? Now, if we do that with this particular 
apparent contradiction. Did Jesus come to bring judgment or did he come to not bring judgment but to save? We will see that the more common idea throughout the New Testament is that Jesus came to save. In John's gospel, that is a phrase that's used more than once. Now, the second thing that's really important in, in, in this particular example, in trying to understand uh, what's going on, is to understand the context. To whom were these words spoken? And essentially, one of the things we understand in the Bible, and this is common throughout the Old and New Testament, is that God tends to say different things to two groups of people. In the main, to the proud, the arrogant, the people who know it all, who don't really see a place and a need for God, God tends to bring difficult and harsh words to wake them up, to get them to repent. But to the humble and the broken and the fearful and those who are deeply aware of their sin, God tends to bring words of healing and comfort and encouragement and love. So it's very often important when we see a contradiction to try and understand, is this being spoken to the proud or to the humble? And in this particular case, it is being spoken to those who are dismissing the man who has been healed. It is being spoken to the proud. It is being spoken to people who think that Jesus can't possibly be the Messiah. So bringing those two ideas together, is there a way of reconciling these two verses? And the way to do it, I believe, is this, is to understand the difference between intention and consequence. Let me explain. The intention of Jesus was to say, come and save. He came to mankind to tell them of the opportunity to repent and be saved. He didn't come to decide who was going to be uh, rejected and who was going to be chosen. He came to offer salvation. He came to save. We can say that because that's clearly the more common idea. It's the majority view, if you like. But the consequence of Jesus coming to save, the byproduct, if you like, the shadow, if you like, the inevitable uh, after effect, is that by implication to reject Jesus as saviour was going to bring judgment. And so what Jesus is saying here is, look, I've come to save, but if you reject me, it's bringing judgment on you. So if we try and reconcile these verses, we understand that there was an earthly role and a heavenly, if you like, future role. That Jesus, while he was on earth, was not the, say, it was not the judge, he was the saviour. He came to save, he came to die on the cross, he came to offer to all mankind salvation. But if people rejected Jesus, as these people were doing, they'd seen him heal a man then the consequence of that is that when they 
at the end of time, when the day of judgment comes, because the New Testament talks a lot about the day of judgment. And one of the reasons why we interpret this verse as that Jesus wasn't judging them then, but he was warning them of what could happen, is that the New Testament makes it very clear is that there is a day of judgment to come. Therefore, judgment is delayed. Peter tells us that it is delayed that we might have the opportunity to repent. But nevertheless, the future role of Jesus was to be not only the saviour, but on that day of judgment to be judged. Do you know me? And he says to those who don't know me, don't know him away from me. So Jesus has come to save, but rejecting him will cause on the day of judgment us to receive the judgment of him saying, I don't know who you are. So that's how you reconcile these verses. They're not in contradiction. They are saying something different to different people in different situations and they harmonize together. That links us on to the second part of the verse, which can also appear a bit tricky. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. So we ask ourselves, does Jesus want the blind to see or not? Well, what is clear is that Jesus wants to open the eyes of those who are physically blind. He's just done that. And he wants to open the eyes of those who are blind spiritually, who can't see him, who don't respond to him but the consequence and this is what we're talking about the consequence of those who see with their eyes the healing who see God at work who see unmistakably that the Messiah has come but they don't want to accept that because it is uh, challenging to the comfort of their life they will become blind and so what Jesus is saying is the consequence of me coming is that those who see me and receive me, her eyes are opened. But those who choose to reject me, it's as if they become blind. They can't see what they need to see. John 9, 40, some of the Pharisees were with him, heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? And this is the key then. Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claimed you can see, your guilt remains. What is he saying? He is saying this, that if you don't know and you don't understand what God is doing, then that's redeemable. If you're blind and you can't see Jesus and you, you wonder, you can't see hope and you can't, you need, you're humble, you're crying out to God for help, then he'll open your eyes and you can see. But there is great danger if we know it's God as the Pharisees did, but because of pride or personal agendas, they rejected, then that is dangerous and was bringing judgment on themselves. So I hope that helps us uh, understand something that looks like a contradiction. It isn't a contradiction. Jesus came into the world to save, but he warned those who were rejecting him that by rejecting him, they were bringing judgment on themselves. And he was saying, look, that's the way it is. I, as I come to save, the inevitable consequences is that some people will see and reject me. And that's not what he wanted, but it is what happens. So I want to leave us 
with a couple of questions to reflect on. And, and the first one is this. Where do we need to be careful not to think we know everything? Where are there things where we think we can see and we understand God and we understand that the people who disagree with us are wrong? Where perhaps we've tied down our theology or we've tied down our thinking and we're no longer searching and we're no longer open and we are at risk of actually being blind to something new. It seems to me that growth is so important in our Christian faith, to be constantly open to say, God, where have I not understood your word? Lord, where have I had a blind spot? A few weeks ago, I talked about the 25 different things I changed my mind on from the studying Jesus. And that caused all kinds of people. People are desperate to know what those 25 things are. And I'm still keeping that to myself. Maybe one day I'll talk about it. Uh, but the, the point is this. We need to be open. Jesus, where have I got a blind spot? Where have I got a hobby horse? Where might I be in danger of having a theological thing that is so important? But if I'm honest with myself and if I allow God to speak into my life, you know what? It's just based on one verse. And I've blown it at odds with the cross or with the gracious and compassionate God. And I've made it a thing. And there's a risk I could be blind. Let's pray together. Lord, will you help us to study your word? And particularly to study where there are things that look at face value that there are contradictions. Help us rather to hear your word, not to be blind, but to have our eyes opened. And we present and give to you all the things we hold dear and say, Lord, if any of them are not of you and need to be changed, will you change them? Lord, help us to remain humble, constantly seeking, constantly searching, constantly able to be taught. Help us to remain teachable, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.